0: Today, Psalm 24. Now I'm going to go ahead and read that and then we'll dive in. The earth is the Lord's and all within, for he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the waters. Who may ascend into the hill of the Lord, or who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to an idol, nor sworn deceitfully, he shall receive blessing from the Lord, and righteousness from the God of his salvation. This is Jacob, the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face. Selah. Lift up your heads, O ye gates. And be lifted up, you everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O you gates. Lift up, you everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. Selah pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for the way that uh, it works in our lives. We thank you that it was personified in the Lord Jesus. We thank you for the amazing things that you give us insight into about you, things that others longed to look into You've given us the ability to do that, God. Open our eyes, open our hearts, open our ears, that your word may dwell deeply within us, that it may take all the actions that you want it to take, separating soul and spirit, joint and marrow, dividing the thoughts and attitudes of our hearts, a lamp unto our feet, something that's pure, what an amazing thing your word is, God, as we open it this morning. Have your way in it. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So we've got two, two sections here, uh, verses 1 through 6, and then uh, 7 through 10, both of them ending in that uh, exhort, exhortation to selah, to think about it, to ponder it. What do you think about that? is basically what he's saying, and it's a question intended to be pondered, not just something to read and move on. Oh, it says, selah, off we go. Because we do that a lot, right? Take time and and think about what do you think about what was said? What do you think about what was said? There's a couple of things that um, scholars and ancient rabbinical sources tell us about Psalm 24, Uh, One is that it was written, well, it says in the Bible that it was written by David, but one of the things it said is that it's written either for or in commemoration of the Ark of the Covenant coming into Jerusalem. That this psalm was written for the occasion of the Ark of the Covenant coming into Jerusalem. The Ark had been captured by the Philistines. And you can read the details of that in First Samuel chapters 4 through 6, all the things that happened there. They capture it. They put it in the temple of their god, Dagon, and they get up the next morning, and Dagon has fallen on his face in front of the Ark of the Covenant, this great statue. They pick him up. They put him back. The next night, Dagon's bowing back down to the Ark of the Covenant. And then plagues start to break out in their land, and they're like, we... We need. I, I think it stayed there seven months, which seems kind of dumb, right? You would think they would have taken action a little, a little more, a little sooner. Maybe that's where the ex- expression comes from: "You philistine," you know. You just you don't get it. Um, and so they eventually say, "We got to get rid of this." We don't know what to do, and they send it, and it comes back into the territory of Israel, and eventually it ends up in the city of Kiriath-Jerim, which means, uh, Kiriath uh, simply means city, right? So as you're reading through the Bible and you're like, Kiriath-Arba, Kiriath-Jerim, Kiriath this, Kiriath that, Kiriath just means city. Jerim means woods. So kiriath German is, a city, is city of the woods. And it was a city known as a Canaanite high place where they would worship Baal, so it's this pagan worship place, and we have here, again, we have just picture after picture after picture of what God does with something that was previously despoiled, with something that was previously used for things that were not of God. Has ark there in this place that was a center of worship to Baal. Amazing how God does these things. When he redeems a place, he will allow his presence to be there. And the event of bringing the ark back to Jerusalem is detailed in 2 Samuel chapter 6. So written for that occasion, right? And, and David dances in his loincloth, and his, his wife says to him, you made a fool of yourself, praising and worshiping God. And David said, I don't, I don't care. I want to praise and worship God. The second thing is uh it's believed that this psalm was used, and, and there's sources that tell us this, that this psalm was used in the liturgy of the temple. So the Levites would sing this song every first day of the week. Every first day of the week, which for uh was Sunday for them. This is the first day of the week. So every Sunday this psalm was being sung. The earth is the Lord's in all its fullness, the world and those who dwell therein. All of this was sung as people came into Jerusalem. One of the things we know that happened on Sunday was Jesus' entrance into Jerusalem, Palm Sunday. And as Jesus came into the city, he would hear these words. And we'll talk more about that in a little while. We'll come back to both of them, really. So verses 1 through 6, and I'm going to read them again here. The earth is the Lord's and all its fullness, the world and those who dwell therein, for he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the waters. Who may ascend into the hill of the Lord, or who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to an idol, nor sworn deceitfully, He shall receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. This is Jacob, the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face. Selah. So it starts with a proclamation in verses 1 and 2. The earth is the Lord's in all its fullness. No matter who you think is in control, no matter who you think owns who, the earth is the Lord, and all its fullness, every single bit of it is his, and all who dwell therein belong to the Lord, that he would be able to say, do this, do that, and he gives us free will, and allows us to do, allows us to rebel, but they belong to him. As captured as you may think you are, or anybody else is, they belong to the Lord, you belong to the Lord, and everything in it, the fullness. He founded it. He established it. Then we've got a question, and we've heard a similar one before. In, in Psalm fifteen, one, we did Psalm 15 when we were at Gavin Park. It says, Psalm fifteen, one, says, Lord, who may abide in your tabernacle? Who may dwell in your holy hill? Here it's who may ascend into the hill of the Lord, or who may stand in his holy place, in verse 3 of Psalm 24. Who who may ascend into the hill of the Lord, or who may stand in his holy place. We discussed our immediate disqualification to abide and dwell in Psalm 15, right? It says, he whose walk, most of us can walk, so we're we're okay up until then, and then it's all downhill after that, right? The uprightness and blamelessness and everything else that followed— beyond us, beyond our ability to do, that would allow us to dwell uh, in, in the hill of the Lord, that would allow us to be there. David knows that God can do these things in the lives of men. He writes in Psalm 32, verse 1, Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. So although these things are beyond us, they are things that, be, that can adhere to us, that can become ours by the actions of God. By the actions of God. He knows that God can do these things. Turn over to uh, 1 Peter chapter 1. He knows that God can do these things, and on one hand, he's talking about the ability to come before God in the fashion that they could under the temple system by the sacrifice of animals, by the spilling of blood. And we know that there's a cost. That system enables all men to know that there's a cost for our sin, blood being shed for our sin, for our iniquity. So he knows that God has set up an ability to be clean momentarily. But we also know that David, along with the other prophets, knew that they were ministering to us. First Peter chapter 1, it says in verses 10 through 12, Of this salvation the prophets have inquired and searched carefully, who prophesied of the grace that would come to you, Searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ who was in them was indicating when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. But to us they were ministering the things which now have been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Things which angels desire to look into. So David's talking about their situation here, right? Who can ascend into the hill of God and who may stand in his holy place and the sacrificial system, but he's also ministering to us the spirit of Christ in him, right? It's not some different spirit that worked in the prophets. It's the same God. It's the same spirit that we get from him. The spirit of Christ. There, in the beginning, and throughout, one with God. They didn't fully understand what they were seeing and what they were saying. But what they were saying, they were saying for people in their time and for us. And this psalm is full of prophetic messages about Jesus. I think we have an even more exclusive distinction here in Psalm 24 than we did in Psalm 15, where again, Psalm 15 talked about who may abide in your tabernacle, who may dwell in your holy hill. It says two things here, who may ascend, who can ascend, who is the only one that ascended? Jesus. Who can ascend? Jesus can ascend. Eventually, he'll come back to bring us with him. We will not ascend on our own. You know, we won't suddenly go, now I can do it. He calls us, and we ascend. Who can ascend into the hill of the Lord? Jesus can. Who is able to stand? Interesting. When you get to Revelation and you see the, um, the living creatures and the angels and the elders, what are they doing over and over and over again? Bowing down. Who can stand? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, worship forever, everything else in all of creation, every other being, bowing, bowing, bowing. Who can stand? Jesus can stand. Paul tells us in Romans chapter 14 that God is able to make us stand. So these things that adhere only to Jesus become ours because of our association with him. Who can ascend? We can when he calls us. Who can? In Romans 14, go ahead and turn there. We'll, we'll read this section because I think it's instructive. Of what's being talked about here, how it is, what, what the situation is within which God is saying He's able to make us stand. Romans 14, uh, starting in verse one. So if you were in First Peter, just flip back uh, about that thickness of uh, pages. Paul's writing to the church in Rome. He says, "'Receive one who is weak in the faith, "'but not to disputes over doubtful things. "'For one believes he may eat all things, "'but he who is weak eats only vegetables. "'Let not him who eats despise him who does not eat.'" So don't let the one who says, "'I can eat everything,' "'despise the person whose faith is weak "'and says, "'I can only eat vegetables.'" And, not, and don't let the one who doesn't eat say, I'm so pious and I'm going to judge the guy that eats meat. For God has received him. Who are you to judge another's servant? To his own master he stands or falls. Indeed, he will be made to stand, for God is able to make him stand. Our standing happens through God, established by Jesus, then he is able to make us stand. It's not established by our own piety, and it's not destroyed when our faith is weak. It is God that brings these things to us. There is no one throughout all time who passes the test of verse 4 beside the Lord Jesus, who has clean hands and a pure heart. Who has not lifted up his soul to an idol, nor sworn deceitfully? Jesus is the one that did all these things perfectly. If you want a definition of not lifting your soul to an idol, if you look in Psalm 25, verses 1 and 2, it says, To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, I trust in you. So what is idolatry? What is lifting our souls to an idol? It's trusting in other stuff. It's trusting in other stuff. I'll let you make your own list of things that you trust in. Make sure you don't lift your soul up to those things and say, save me. Because we do it. Save me. You'll be my salvation. You'll be my help. You'll be the one that comes to me. You'll be the thing that I need. God's doing something else. I don't trust Him. I won't wait for Him. Lifting up our soul to an idol is trusting in all of these other things. I'm not saying we can't have these things. I'm saying. It is a great temptation to lift our souls, that eternal part of us, to them and say, save us. And have those be the things that make us feel right. There's no one to whom the blessing and righteousness belong beside Jesus. Verse 5, it says, He shall receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. And he represents and brings in Jacob. The generation of those who seek him, who seek his face. So Jacob, the deceiver, Jacob, the one who grasped at the heel, it says. Where else have we heard someone attacking the heel? Yeah, you will crush his head. Jacob. Amazing. Amazing. God will deal with Satan, but we've got Jacob the liar, Jacob the runner, Jacob the deceiver. And even though we're like the enemy, as Jacob was like the enemy, God saves us from him. Despite all our propensity to do evil, despite the actual rebellion that we participate in, God draws him to himself, and he calls us to seek his face, not just seek him, but to see, uh, kind of amazing that we have Jacob mentioned here. And I was I was like, why does it just say Jacob? Because we hear grouped together all the time, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, right? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, God of Jacob. It's like a continual thing that comes out both in, in the Old Testament and repeated in the New Testament. And I, I thought... I wonder if these other guys, you know, Abraham and Jacob, uh, Isaac, as nice as they are, I wonder if they get as much mention, right, as the God of Jacob. They don't. It's really interesting. There's two places where it just says the God of Abraham, and it's before any of the other ones are born. So none where it says just Isaac. There's 17 different times where it just says the God of Jacob. The God of Jacob, the God of Jacob. I, I, Jacob, I mean, we, got, we have a whole bunch of stuff that happened in Jacob's life. We have a bunch of stuff that happened in Abraham's life, too. But there's this sense about Abraham that, you know, he, God called him and he came. So there's this, like, reverence for Abram. And I'm not saying there shouldn't be. Right? I'm not trying to denigrate Abraham. I'm saying I find it very interesting that God talks about himself being the God of Jacob over and over again, all of those things, but over and over again, and we have this sense of Abraham, God called him and he left, he left his place, and he did some things that weren't great along the way, but there's this kind of reverence, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness, so we have this like Abraham, he's like, he's fantastic. And we don't know about some of his life, but Jacob we meet from the very beginning. And from the very beginning, he's acting like Satan. How wonderful that God would say, I will take you whose life has been laid bare before everybody, and I will make you into somebody. I am your God. Jacob, he's like the Peter of the Old Testament. We see all these failings of his. And it says here, the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face. God doesn't just want us to to seek him. He wants us to come before him and be able to look up into his face every one of us left to our own devices right and it's not the stare down right where you're like oh i'm going to i'm going to look you in the eyes so you know god you know i mean business right it's, this isn't how to win deals in in uh in your dealings in business he wants us to seek his face he does not want us to come and say i can't i can't look at you god i can't look at you he says i want you to see my face I want you to see the care and the compassion that I have for you. I want you to understand that I've made you clean by my son, and I've made these things that are true of him true of you as well. In Genesis 32, we have the story of Jacob wrestling with God, and he says this to Jacob in verse 28, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have struggled with God and men. And have prevailed. So I wanna encourage you, and I wanna encourage me keep struggling. Keep seeking God. Keep seeking His face. Know that when you walk up to Him with your head down, He's saying, No, child, I wanna see you. I want you to know how much I love you. Keep struggling with men, keep struggling. Don't worry about how crazy it is out there. Keep struggling that they may see who God is. Don't withdraw. Struggle. Not in the negative way that we do so often. I think you know what I mean. Anyone know what Israel means? Prince. And there's a little more. Prince with God. Prince with God. You will no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, prince with God. What does the prince inherit? Everything the king owns. God has made Jacob into a prince with him. God has made us into kings and priests with him, an inheritance with Jesus. Amazing, amazing, amazing things. So then we get to this second section, verses 7 through 10, and this song, song uh, psalm in its entirety is sung by the Levites as the Ark of the Covenant is being brought into Jerusalem, and then it's sung every first day of the week, every Sunday after that. And again, I would encourage you, go back and read 2 Samuel 6, look at what this procession was like, look at what was going on there as they're bringing this in, the glory of God appeared... Over the ark between the cherubim. The glory of God appeared over the ark between the cherubim. The glory of God is literally being brought into the city as they're singing this song Lift up your heads, O you gates, be lifted up, you everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? He hadn't been there for 20 years. That's how long he was out out in other places. Who is this king of glory? Don't forget how long you wander. Don't forget who he is. The Lord strong and mighty. The Lord mighty in battle. When the ark was captured by the Philistines, Eli's sons Phineas and Hophni were killed. Eli, they come and tell him his sons are dead and the ark has been captured and he falls over backwards in his chair and breaks his neck and dies. These are the true life stories of the Bible, so enjoy them. Phinehas' widow had a child, and she named him Ichabod, which means no glory. It says, for the glory had departed from Israel. And they're singing this song. David writes this song, lift up your heads, O ye gates. He lifted up ye everlasting doors, that the king of glory may come in. The glory There was no glory, and he was coming back. often referred to as the triumphal entry, right? So now Jesus has been born, he started his ministry, it's about to end, so the enemy thought, so the Pharisees thought, so Rome thought. And he's coming into Jerusalem, that's often referred to as the triumphal entry, coming into the city, the crowds are singing Hosanna, and this song is being sung— Lift up your heads, O ye gates. Be lifted up, ye everlasting doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? Jerusalem, it said, the crowds all stirred up. They said, who is this, Jesus? Same question. Who is this King of glory? They didn't recognize him. They didn't recognize him. They're singing, open the gates, open the doors. The King of glory is here, and he was, and they didn't see it. Back in First Peter, where we read there, it, it, it talked about how the Spirit of Christ indicated, the Spirit of Christ in David and the other prophets indicated the sufferings that Christ was going to go through. Was this Paul in Luke chapter 19? Turn, turn to Luke 19. Moments. <laughs> Luke nineteen forty one. now as he drew near, he saw the city and wept over it, saying, if you had known even you, especially in this, your day, the things that make for your peace, but now they're hidden from your eyes. For days will come upon you and your enemies will build an embankment around you, surround you and close within you to the ground, and they will not leave in you one stone upon another because you did not know the time of your visitation. He drew near the city and he wept. Part of the sufferings of Christ, that the Spirit of Christ had shown David. They're singing the song, but they don't even recognize. And they're blind to the truth of it, and they're missing the day of their visitation. Jesus says to the meandering church, to the ones not hot or cold, the church in Laodicea, he says, you're lukewarm. Dave, last time he spoke, Dave Bigler talked about those lukewarm waters that neither refreshed nor healed. They weren't useful for anything. They didn't do what they were supposed to do. And Jesus says to them, talking about gates and we're talking about doors, I stand at the door and knock. The king of glory, if you're lukewarm, and nothing to do with Luke, and I'm not looking at you because your name is Luke. Let me divert my eyes. If you are lukewarm, the king of glory is standing at your doorstep. And he's saying, lift up your head. Forget about what you've been. I want to make you into something that you have never been before. I want to make you greater than you could ever imagine yourself being. Lift up your head that the king of glory might come in. He is not walked away from you. He is not leaving. He is knocking, and he cares greatly for you. Realize your need and turn back to him. He says to those that don't know him, today is your day of visitation. If you don't know the king of glory, Today is the day of your visitation. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day you can say, I want to accept the things that Jesus did for me, and I want, to, I want all the blessings of God to adhere to me. Now, let me just tell you, if you don't know him, that does not mean life goes great from there. There's a lot to the story, and you need to understand that. There's a lot to the story. It's actually kind of promised we'll get more of the other side of things. So know what you're getting into, but he is the one who will connect you with the God of all creation. So another, uh, another event happened on the first day of the week. What happened a week after the, the triumphal entry? We'll use quotation marks forever for that now. The resurrection. The resurrection happened. Luke 24, 1, John 21. So again, on that day, what are the temple singers singing? Lift up your heads, O ye gates. Be lifted up, you everlasting doors, that the King of glory might come in. Might come in in a fuller way than it would ever be experienced by him being present in a city, but him being present in the heart's of every man, the ability for that to happen. Again, that song being sung, the earth is the Lord and all its fullness, the world and those who dwell therein, fulfilled, right, rescued, brought back into a greater way into the possession of God. Lift up your head. They would be asking who could ascend into the hill of the Lord or stand in his holy place. And Jesus would be saying, Now you can because of me. Now you can. He's the only one that ever fulfilled verse 4 and received verse 5, and he passes those blessings on to us. As an heirs of God through Christ, we are Israel, princes with God, inheritors of the promises. Amazing things. The king of glory was back, but again, not recognized by his own. And like many prophecies in the Bible, there's partial fulfillment of what will be fully realized later. So let's turn to Revelation 19. That's at the end. It's really easy to find unless you've got a giant concordance in the back and you got to shuffle through that. So sorry if that's the case. Revelation 19. The king of glory will come back. He will have his hosts with him. And John saw this and wrote the vision God had given him. We'll start in verse 11. Now I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on him was called faithful and true. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called. The word clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. That's us, by the way. Now, out of his mouth goes a sharp, a sharp sword that with it he should strike the nations, and he himself will rule them with a rod of iron, he himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Lift up the everlasting doors that the King of glory shall come in. He is coming back. I said it, that's us following him. It says all the armies of heaven, so I think there's some other people involved in that too. But the only one doing the fighting is him. The sword comes out of his We're just along for the ride. The sword comes out of his mouth. Jesus has always come as the Lamb always come as the Lamb. When he comes back, he will not be coming as the Lamb. He will be coming as the King of glory, strong and mighty, mighty in battle. And everybody will know, nobody will say, who is this King of glory? Because every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Uh, Some believe that Psalms 22, 23, and 24 are a triad that go together. Psalm 22 has multiple prophetic references to the crucifixion of Jesus. It's already occurred. He trusted in the Lord. Let him deliver him, it says in Psalm 22. They cast lots for my garments, it says in Psalm 22. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? It says, and all these things are fulfilled in the crucifixion. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. We have the ongoing work of Jesus as our shepherd, the good shepherd, the one that accomplishes all of those things and makes them true of us. And in Psalm 24, the fully realized triumphal entry, which will occur in the future. Amazing things that God has given us in his word. We will do well to pay attention to it as a light shining in a dark place. Let's pray.